We're working our way through this series on the basics of Christianity, and we've been noting what the Bible teaches about contentment and joy and peace and faith and humility and self-control, and today we come to another important basic of Christianity, which is worship. Worship. But what is worship? Christian worship is, is often misunderstood. Some would say, and maybe you've thought this or even think this, that, that worship is what the church does when we gather together and sing. What we just did. Worship and song. Worship is what we do when the church comes together to, to lift their voices together in song. And yes, that is a part of our worship. And I can understand why some might think that that is worship, and it is a part of our worship. But it's only a very, I must suggest that our singing is a very small part of our worship. And I have very good reason for saying that. It's, it's only a very small part of true worship of God by followers of Christ. In fact, worship should be an all-encompassing life activity of the believer. So, we're only going to begin looking at this basic of Christianity today. In fact, what I intend to do today is introduce to you the idea, and it is a large idea, that worship is an all-of-life activity. And then, Lord willing, next week and the following week, we'll come back, come back to a couple of, a couple of specifics that indicate our willingness to worship God with our whole lives. A couple of other perspectives about worship next week and the following week, Lord willing. And worship is an all-encompassing life activity. That's my intent today, to help you see that, to help you see that that's what God's Word teaches. For our time together today, I'd like to direct your attention to Romans chapter 12. Would you go there with me? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. My purpose this morning, again, is to help you see that the follower of Christ, for the follower of Christ, worship of God is far more than singing only, Singing songs of praise and worship is a part of our worship, but far more than that is true Christian worship. Worship is a whole life activity for the believer in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, look at verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now we begin our look today at worship, this basic of Christianity here in Romans 12, because it's here we find that God's Word teaches us that worship for the believer is an all-encompassing life activity. In fact, what we are taught in this passage is that the highest form of worship is all of life. Here's Here's a little definition for you if you want to write it down. It's my own, but um, it, I think it will help you. It helps me think about worship in this way. Worship is an all of it is all of life lived in obedience to God from the heart. 
Worship is all of life lived in obedience to God from the heart. Now, if you're reading from the King James translation this morning, you didn't see the word worship in verse 1, did you? You saw the word service. I would caution you that, that that does not mean works. It does not mean only service. Because when you go back to the original languages, and I, and I appreciate the English Standard Version here and other uh, newer translations that use the word worship here because when you go back to the original language into the Greek, you'll find that the, the idea behind this word in the Greek is that this is divine service or, or service and worship to God. It's, it's this worship that, that shapes our life. It's the, the attitude of worship that, that creates this desire and this attitude that says everything that I do is going to be service and worship to God. Everything that I do. When I go to work tomorrow, I'm going to work as an act of service and worship to God. When I speak to my neighbor, I'm going to speak to my neighbor as an opportunity, as an act of, of service and worship to God. As I, as I love my wife, man, as I love my wife, I'm going to love my wife as an act of service and worship to God. Children, young people, I'm going to obey my parents. This is self-serving. I'm going to obey my parents as an act of service and worship to God, right? We all ought to have that attitude. Parents, I'm going to love my children. I am not going to exasperate them and frustrate them by being overbearing and mean and rude. This is not self-serving. This is reflecting a, a problem I have, right? I'm not going to be hard and mean with my children as an act of service and worship to God. Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see where God's Word takes us with this? When we understand what worship is, it is an all-of-life-encompassing service and worship to God from the heart. And this service and worship of God is to involve the whole life of the believer. There ought not be a part of your life that is untouched with this attitude of, I want to serve and worship God in this, in how I respond or how I act or how I work. So worship of God is something the believer in Jesus Christ does with his or her whole life. That's why Paul opens verse 1 with this strong appeal. Look at verse 1 again in Romans 12. He's explaining here what is expected of the one who has been made right with God through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And what is expected of the believer? Paul writes that God expects of the believer wholehearted devotion and obedience to God. Look at verse 1 again. And this wholehearted devotion and obedience to God is how God's Word defines worship for us here. And for good reason. The life of the believer is to be offered up to God as worship from the heart, compelled by the mercies of God, says Paul. He says it here, verse 1, I appeal to you. I implore you is the idea. I'm, I compel you. I appeal to you strongly. Therefore, brothers. He's talking about believers here, right? By... The mercies of God. Why worship God? <laughs> Think about His mercies, which are many. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? God's mercies are God's grace shown to sinners through the sacrifice of His Son. It is because of God's mercies that we have been taken from death. Think of it. It is because of God's mercies that you have been snatched from the jaws of death and delivered and brought to life. Earlier in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, you want to go back to chapter 6 for a moment? Look at chapter 6 and verse 13. Paul had pointed to this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Do not, he says, present your members, Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. He's talking about the life of the believer. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who, listen, get it, have been brought from death to life. The mercies of God, right? And we ought to say, praise the Lord. Brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why worship God? <laughs> you need to ask, right? Do I need to ask? No, it's right here, isn't it? God's mercies are many. And very clear in Romans 6.13. And it's because of God's mercies that we're no longer slaves to sin. Look down at verse 19, Romans 6, verse 19. Just a few verses later, Paul writes, For just as you once... Once, you did at one time, it once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now things are different. Things are now different. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Because of God's mercies, we are no longer slaves to sin. Now we have choice, and we have the power to choose to obey. By God's work in us, by way of his Holy Spirit and a word. So, back to Romans 12. Compelled by God's mercies. Compelled by God's mercies, we are to present ourselves. Paul says, present your bodies or members before God. And I would suggest that what, what this means here is that we present all of ourselves, our whole self, body and soul, your whole life. Bodies here means your whole person, body and soul, everything. Your whole life is to be set apart for service and worship to God and to make things clear for us that God, that's what God wants of all of us and expects of all of us, of our whole life. He wants our whole life, our body and soul. Paul says that we are to present ourselves to God as, do you see it? Look at verse 1, Romans 12, as a living sacrifice. But what is a living sacrifice we don't make sacrifices, do we? We don't have an altar that we burn sacrifices on. You go to the Old Testament, we see that a lot. We see that, don't we? 
We see sacrifices offered up on an altar. We may not quite understand this as readily as those to whom Paul wrote in his day, but we often see sacrifices when we go to the Old Testament and we read, we find there was a lot of sacrificing going on in obedience to God, by the way. And for Israel, when they offered a sacrifice, the whole, get the idea here, the whole burnt offering was to be totally consumed and offered up as an aroma to God, as an offering to God, totally consumed, never to be retrieved, never to be reclaimed. The whole sacrifice was given to God. And now, in the New Testament, things have changed. No more burnt sacrifices, right? Why? Because we have the sacrifice of Christ delivering the believer from the clutches of sin, right? Being enslaved to sin. From that, which is death, delivering us to life. And the believer in Christ is called to offer up his whole life. Go back to the imagery of the Old Testament where the sacrifice was totally consumed on the altar and offered up as an offering to God, never to be reclaimed. And the life of the believer is to be offered up in that way, totally and completely, never to be reclaimed. I am God's. I am no longer my own. I am a slave to righteousness. And Paul tells us this is holy and acceptable to God. This is the only kind of life that's truly pleasing and acceptable to God. The life of the believer lived with wholehearted devotion and obedience to God. This is what, what's holy and acceptable. You could say this is what puts a smile on God's face. <laughs> if God needed a face or a smile. This is what's holy and acceptable to God, and this is your, look at it, verse 1, your spiritual worship. So what is worship? It's far more than singing songs. Far more than singing hymns of praise. It includes that, but it's far more than that. Worship is a life wholly and completely given to God, lived in obedience to God, and for His glory, compelled by His mercies. Now look at verse 2. Because it's here in verse 2 that Paul goes on to show us how we live this way. How do we do that? That sounds incredibly hard. <laughs> Whole life? Completely? You mean I'm not my own? Well, compelled by God's mercies, we ought to be joyfully willing to give up ourselves, are we not? But sometimes we struggle with self, don't we? We struggle with sin. We're still here on earth in these sinful bodies. But look at verse 2, because it's here Paul goes on to show us how we live this way. We are to live our whole life committed to service to God. This is our holy and acceptable spiritual worship, and we live this way by maintaining a commitment to transformation of life. We, we live this way with a wholehearted commitment to God that I am willing to be transformed, to be totally changed from who I am to who you want me to be. Maintaining a commitment to transformation of life. And I'm total, talking total transformation. Look at verse 2. As followers of Christ... Think of it. 
committed to worshiping God with, with their whole life, that is a life that must be transformed. I mean, think of who you were before Christ. Think of how you thought and how you acted. Think of the sins you still struggle with. Is that like Christ? No. We need to change, don't we? We need to be transformed. We need to maintain a commitment to total transformation of life. You see, a follower of Christ committed to worshiping God with their whole life has to be willing to change, willing to be transformed. We can't remain as we were before Christ saved us because then we can't truly worship God. We can't truly please Him. We cannot have acceptable worship without transformation, without change. That's what we see here in verse 2, as Paul says, look at verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. In the negative, Romans 12.2 warns us not to be shaped to this world or, or by this world or like this world. And that requires... Discipline, a word we don't often enjoy, right? <laughs> that in, it requires constant vigilance. In fact, it makes more sense that we need to be disciplined and constantly vigilant when we understand, as the New Testament teaches us, that we are in a war. We are in a warfare. We're in battle. Constantly, daily, fighting the good fight of faith. It's a good fight to be involved in. But it's a, it's one that requires constant diligence and discipline against being shaped in our thinking, our speech, and our actions like, when, it, when you think of the world here, it's talking about this present age. It's like the world we live in, the way things go in the world in which we live, separated from God's word, the way this world lives. Don't be like that. Don't be shaped by those things. But you might say, well, what's wrong with this present age? What's wrong with the world? I'm glad you asked. The world, the age we live in, and you know this, if you know God's word, you know this, has Satan as its God. The world you live in has Satan as its ruler. I'm not trying to be dramatic here. I'm trying to be biblical. Think of it. The God of this world, the God of unbelievers is, whether they will admit it or not, or whether they like it or not, is the devil. That was you before Christ. That's you now. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, your God is the devil. Now take that seriously, ought we not? It says Second Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, un, of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan is actively working to keep unbelievers from seeing the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Slaves, trapped in darkness, prisoners to sin. That's how the Bible describes unbelievers. And that was us before Christ. But God has seen to it that the believer would be delivered, removed from the power of this present age through faith in Christ 
whom Galatians 1.4 says, gave himself for sinners to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And the believer is now commissioned by God to live in this world for the purpose of being a witness for Christ. Listen, if God did not have you here to be a witness to unbelievers, He would take you home. And we ought to be thankful that God uses us and intends to use us. How privileged we ought to be that we are messengers of light. Messengers of truth. What a what an incredible privilege. We are commissioned to live in this world for the purpose of witnessing and being a witness for Christ, not for the purpose of becoming like the world. Now, it scares me and it concerns me deeply when I see churches all around our nation becoming more and more and more like the world than becoming more like Christ. And their reasoning, it's not good reasoning, their reasoning has good motives, I think. But often, some churches will say, well, we need to become more like the world so that they'll listen to us. We become more relevant to them. We need to make things more relevant. I was, I shouldn't be surprised. I saw a, uh, you, you have the internet, I have the internet, and I can uh, watch uh, videos and things like that online. These days, you know, these videos go around, and there was a video of a church that I shared, Carolyn and I looked at, and we were like, that's not the church. And there was a, a fellow who called himself a preacher, and he was say, he said he was preaching, and, and yet the things that he were say, was saying, I said to Carolyn, I said, unbelievers would be embarrassed to be there. Unbelievers, not, and I'm not saying that, that we should be afraid of offending unbelievers because the gospel is offensive because it talks about sin, right? But the things that this so-called pastor was saying in his so-called church were things that were, to me, were vulgar and completely offensive, even to those who would consider themselves opposed to Christianity. And I was thinking, that's not the church. And that's just an extreme example. But there are lots, unfortunately, there are more and more of those examples today than there ever have been before of churches becoming more like the world than like Christ. And I don't say that to say, you know, let's pat ourselves on the back and look at how good we are. I say that to say, watch out. Be careful. Not only from this pulpit, but from your lives. Do not become like the world. Be transformed. Look at it. Verse 2. We are to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. That is not being shaped by the world. That's being shaped by God's Word. The world cannot afford the church to become like the world. The world is enslaved to sin whose God is the devil, who's being blinded from the truth, and the world is dying and going to hell. And believers are becoming like the world. And there's something wrong with that. This is how we worship God, with everything that we have. 
with soul and body. We are to be constantly growing in Christ-likeness. We are not to become more like the world that we live in, but we are to become more like Christ who lives in us. And we are most helped by God's design in this nonconformity to the world and transformation in Christ-likeness by the renewal of our mind. And this all takes place as we maintain a commitment of transformation of life. Are you willing to be transformed? Are you willing to be completely changed from being the person you were without Christ to being the person you can be and should be with Christ? You see, God's Word and His Spirit are given to us to do that work, to help us. We are not left alone to our own powers. Otherwise, it's hopeless for us. You realize that? Without Christ, without His Word, without His Spirit. But know what we're told here. The outcome is uh, of this renewal of mind. Note the next phrase in verse 2. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Now, that can be confusing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Does that mean that the believer doesn't know the will of God and that the believer must experiment and test to find out what the will of God is? No. (laughs) Quickly, I want to answer that. No. (laughs) That's not what it means, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The idea here is not that the believer doesn't know the will of God. Think with me. Do you know what God wants you to do as a believer? Do you know, basically, I'm not saying you know all of God's word from cover to cover and can recite chapter and verse, I pull a reference, you give me a verse. No, I'm not suggesting that. But do you know, do you understand what God expects of you? Does your heart speak to you? Does your... Does your mind say, wait a minute, that's sin? Do you feel guilt when you sin as a follower of Christ? Do you feel shame when you've done wrong as a follower of Christ? Do you not know what God wants you to do? It's not that you don't know the will of God. Let me suggest what it is that you have trouble with and I have trouble with. It's believing that God's will is what's best for me and obeying when it seems hard. It's believing that God's will is what's best for me and what God knows best and I had better obey because this is for my good. The idea here is not that the believer doesn't know the will of God, but that the believer does know the will of God and if he isn't diligent to resist conformity to the present age in which we live and fails to seek renewal of mind by the Spirit of God and the work of the Word of God, then the believer is at risk of being deceived by this present age into believing that God's Word is rubbish and you don't need it. Do what feels good. And being deceived by the world about what you know God desires of you will cause you to doubt that God's will is best. God's will is good. But, 
When in your mind you learn to agree with God, and from the heart you learn to agree with God that His will is very good, you will grow in your desire to obey God's will. You'll grow in your desire to make your whole life an act of worship to God, and you will grow in your desire to be totally transformed for God's glory and your good. You see, God's will is very good. It is good and acceptable and perfect. And when the believer is faithful to pursue a life committed to service to God, the believer's life will be good and acceptable and perfect. See, the believer's life will be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And that is worship. Worship is praise directed to God because of God's mercies through Christ, delivering us from enslavement to sin. And worship is most faithfully directed to God with the whole life of the believer lived for God. The whole life of the believer directed to God as praise. So when we gather together next Sunday, and as we finish this time of worship, take your worship with you. Next Sunday, bring your worship with you. From a week given to God for His glory, everything that you've done, given to Him as an act of service and worship to Him. Why? Because He's praiseworthy. And he is gracious and he is merciful. And he does not give us <laughs> what we deserve. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you or I did. Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Lord willing, our next time together, we're going to look at another perspective another indicator about where our hearts are in our worship. But right now we come to the Lord's table, and this too is included in our worship, is it not? But it's not limited to this. This is a very important part of our worship time today, together as a church, as a body of Christ, to, to commemorate the, the death, the sacrifice of the physical body of Christ and the giving of himself for sinners. It's not all our worship here. It's a part of it, a very important part of it. As we reflect on and thank God for what he has accomplished for us through his son Jesus Christ by his sacrifice for us, and for our sins on the cross. This is a time for believers. You realize that? The Lord's Supper, the, the elements of the bread and the cup, this is a time for those who, who identify with Christ who say, I have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's a time to worship Him because of what He has done, what He has accomplished. This is not a time, if you're an unbeliever, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this is not a time for you to take part in it. You can observe, but you should not take the elements as they come, because this is a time for God's people to offer up worship as we remember what he did and accomplished for us on the cross.
to remember and worship God for his goodness toward us and saving us from our sins because he's merciful.